0: Listening to audio from Emanuel Church in Birmingham, Alabama. For more resources like this one, go to EmmanuelBirmingham.com. Mark 4, 1 through 20. Again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got in a boat, sat on it out in the lake while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. He taught them many things by parables, and in his teaching, he said, Listen. The farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came up and ate it. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow, but when the sun came up the plants were scorched and they withered away because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up to choke the plants so they did not bear any grain. Still other seed fell on good soil, it came up, grew, and produced a crop, some multiplying 30, some 60, some a 100 times. Then Jesus said, whoever has ears, let them hear. When he was alone, the 12 and others around him asked him about the parables. He told them, the secret to the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to those on the outside, everything is said in parables, so that they may be ever seeing, but never perceiving, ever hearing, but never understanding." otherwise they might turn and be forgiven. Then Jesus said to them, don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? The farmer sows the word. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Others, like seeds sown on rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they fall away quickly. Still, others like seeds sown among thorns hear the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth and the desires of other things come and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Others like seeds sown on good soil hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop. Some 30, some 60, some 100 times will sown.
1: The word of the Lord. Thank you, Dory, for reading that for us. Uh, so last week, uh, we began a new series that we're calling Kingdom Stories. Uh, Jesus was a master storyteller, and he often used parables to illustrate the ways of God and what God's kingdom is like. And so in this series, what we're doing is we're, we're aiming to discover the ways of God and his kingdom through the parables of Jesus. Um, but before we dive into our parable this morning uh, that Dory just read for us, I want to remind us of a few caveats that I gave last week. We'll probably be reminded of these each week um, as we come to the parable. Um, So a few caveats. One is that parables are not simply just good illustrations aimed at teaching us moral lessons, right? Parables are more than like Aesop's fables, on steroids, right? More is happening than than just a moral lesson. Uh, you have not understood a parable until it prompts you to change. Uh, every parable is in some way a call to repentance and deeper faith in God, which means that learning from Jesus's parables necessitates humility. We must come to Jesus's teaching with a posture of readiness to be challenged, and to be changed by what he is saying to us. And then finally, Jesus is inviting us into a new way of living. He's he's inviting us to see the world through new lenses and and to live accordingly. Uh, And so the parable that we're looking at this morning is called the parable of the sower. And many of us are probably familiar with this parable, which means that it's probably a good reason for pause because oftentimes when we come to passages that we're familiar with, we can come in with the assumption that we already know the meaning and that there's nothing new for us uh, to receive this morning. And so I want to encourage us, especially if we're familiar with this story, um, to have caution and pause as we, as we start. Um, as Jesus says at the end of this parable, uh, let anyone who has ears to hear, listen. Let's come ready to listen to what Jesus wants to say to us. Um, I want to approach this this story, this parable, in three parts. Um, I want us to first look at the reality that Jesus is conveying. This parable is, a, is conveying a reality about the kingdom of God. So I want to look at the reality that Jesus is conveying. Uh, then secondly, I want us to reflect upon that reality further. Um, so to, to try to draw out some implications. Um, and then finally, I want, us, I want each of us to consider how this story of Jesus is issuing a call uh, to a response. Uh, so a kingdom reality, uh, some reflections upon that reality, and then finally a response. Uh, so let's for, look first at the reality that Jesus is conveying. Jesus tells this story to depict what the kingdom of God is is like. He tells this story to depict what the kingdom of God is like. He, he, he wants to illustrate the reality of the kingdom of God. And so he tells a parable to paint that picture for us. Um, so he says the kingdom of God is like a sower and some seeds. Now in, in, in some of the uh, in some of the parables that Jesus tells, he specifically says the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God is like this, um, or um, the, a depiction of the kingdom is, is like this. Now, in this story, he just starts by saying, hey, I want you to listen. I want you to consider um, what I'm saying. But it's really a depiction of the kingdom. He, he wants to paint a picture of what the kingdom of God is like. And he says in this instance that the kingdom of God is like a sower and some seeds. Now, let me give a a quick uh, caveat here. Um, He's not talking about sower as in seamstress. He's he's referring to a farmer. So S-O-W, not S-E-W. Now, Jesus did once use the illustration of the problem that you run into when you sew new cloth together with old cloth. So uh, he uses both, uh, senses of the word. Jesus doesn't discriminate. He likes both uh, uses of sow. Uh, but, but in this instance, he's referring to seed being cast on the ground. Um, and today we don't typically use the language of sower. Um, we more regularly use the word farmer. But for, we're familiar with the concept. A farmer went out to cast seeds. Jesus says the kingdom of God can be compared to this. And as he spread the seed, it fell in different places. Some seed fell along the path, and Jesus says the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it didn't have much soil, and it grew up quickly since the soil wasn't deep, but when the sun came up, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns came up and choked out the seed, and it didn't produce produce fruit. And then still others fell on good ground, and it grew up, produced a fruit that increased 30, 60, and 100 times what was sown. Now, because some of us are familiar with this story, um, we may think that the meaning is clear enough, right? But if this is your first hearing of this story, this might be a bit perplexing. What in the world does that story mean? I mean, imagine... If you were there on the seashore that day, when Jesus got in a boat and told the story, and he finished with, let those who have ears to hear, listen. I mean, what in the world does that mean, Jesus, right? But thankfully, Jesus gives us, at least in this instance, an explanation. Later, we're told, when Jesus was with his disciples, he explained the parable to them. Jesus says, the sower sows the word, the seed being cast." represents a message that is being spread. And as the message is being spread around, Jesus says that it lands on different types of ground, which represent different types of listeners to the message. So Jesus says some people's hearts are like the seeds sown on the path. When they hear the message of the gospel, immediately Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown. It doesn't penetrate at all, in other words. Never even gets into the heart. Other, others are like the seed sown on rocky ground. When they hear the word immediately, there's, uh, there's a response of joy. There's a positive reaction to the message. But these people have no roots. And so their, uh, their, their faith is short-lived. When distress or persecution come, uh, they immediately fall away. The seed doesn't last. Uh, Other seeds are like seeds sown among thorns. These are like people who hear the word, but the worries of this age, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come and choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. And then finally, Jesus says, there are some who hear the word, welcome it, and produce fruit. And and Jesus is saying that this is a picture of, of the reality of the kingdom of God. And the main idea here is that there are varying responses to the message and to the ministry of Jesus. There are varying responses to the message and the ministry of God's king. Mark 1:14 and 15 tells us that Jesus went to Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. And so Jesus is the sower in this story, and he's traveling around spreading the gospel message that the time has arrived. God's king has come. The kingdom is being ushered in, and he's calling people to trust in him. And what Jesus is saying is that that message that he is uh, proclaiming is being met with varying responses, which, to be honest, is a bit surprising The the Jewish people were waiting for God's Messiah to come, the one who would sit on David's throne and lead them back to ascendancy and power, the one who would usher in God's kingdom. And no one imagined the Christ coming and not being welcomed in by everyone. No one envisioned a Messiah that is ignored and rejected and abandoned by some people. And yet Jesus is saying, This is exactly what is happening. The arrival of God's kingdom and the reception of Messiah is different than what was anticipated. Jesus's earthly ministry is being met with varying responses. There were some who just flat rejected him. We see this most clearly in the religious leaders of Jesus's day. They called his ministry and his miracles the work of Beelzebul. They accused Jesus of of blasphemy. And so their hearts were hard toward Jesus. Even even when Jesus answered their questions and, and left them speechless, they refused to listen to him. Even when he performed a miracle before their eyes, they refused to see him as the Lord's chosen. They were looking for someone else. They were looking for a different message. And so there were some who had hard hearts to the ministry and the message of Jesus. There were others who were initially attracted to Jesus, but then walked away from him. Jesus's ministry, at least initially, attracted large crowds. He was performing uh, miraculous signs that no one had ever seen before. I mean, think of the crowds that we're told of in John chapter 6. We're told in John 6 that a huge crowd came looking for Jesus, and and they came looking for him because earlier he had multiplied some fish and some bread to feed a massive multitude, 5,000 men. Plus women and children, probably a crowd of about 15 to 20,000 people. And so this crowd comes looking for Jesus, and he tells them, "You're here because your bellies got filled, but you should be here to have your souls satisfied." And he tells them, "I'm the bread of heaven, and you need to feast on me, eat my flesh and, and drink my blood." Weird words. And so we're told that after this, the crowd left and no longer followed him. So there were many who were initially attracted to Jesus, but then walked away. There were some who said they wanted to follow Jesus. I think of like the rich young ruler who came to Jesus, not to test him, but genuinely wanting to follow him and to know the way to eternal life. And yet, when Jesus highlights this man's idol, And calls him to give it up. He is unwilling to part with his riches. And he walks away from Jesus sorrowful. So there were some who who came to Jesus in sincerity. But the worries of this life choked out their faith. And then finally there were some like Mary Magdalene and Joseph of Arimathea. Like Zacchaeus and like the disciples. Who responded to Jesus by truly and genuinely following him. And the truth is, the same responses we see from people in the New Testament are true of people's responses to Jesus today. There are some today who reject Christianity as a baseless myth. Whenever a believer uh, tries to share the message of Christ, it is, it is sometimes met, uh, by some at least, with either opposition or indifference. They, just, they don't have ears to hear the message of Christianity. There, there are many in our context, I think like the crowd in John 6, who are attracted to Christianity for the perks, but not for the person. So their faith lasts only until trouble comes, or they encounter a hard truth in the Bible. But when faced with a challenge, many who were initially drawn to Jesus abandon him. And you can really abandon Jesus two ways. You You can abandon him through accommodation, where you try to change the message of Christianity into something that you prefer it to be, You try to change the words of Jesus into something you want him to say. Uh, But that's really just creating a Jesus in your own image, which is not following the true Jesus at all. Or you can commit apostasy, where you walk away from the faith and deny Christ. There are some in our context that perhaps grew up in the church. If you were filling out an application that asks about religious affiliation, you would check the Christian box. Maybe you're like the rich young ruler, Uh, you're perhaps a good moral person, and yet the worries of this age, money, comfort, pleasure, either already have or will at some point choke out the appearance of faith in your life. And then finally, there are followers of Jesus who genuinely love him, believe in him, endure in the faith, and bear fruit. This, Jesus is saying, is the reality of the kingdom. It's a kingdom that is advancing. The seed is spreading. The gospel is bearing fruit, and it's growing, which will result in an abundant harvest. But it's a kingdom in which some of the seed will fall on dormant soil. Only some will receive the king's message and belief. And this leads us into some reflections. So what do we do with this parable? What is Jesus aiming for? How, how should we contemplate and consider what he's saying to us? I've wrestled with this a lot this week. There's so much that can be said about this parable, but let me offer just a couple of reflections for us to chew on together. I, I think one thing that's clear from this parable is that Jesus is saying that the goal of your life and my life is for us to be fruit-bearing disciples of Jesus. God's aim in your life is for you to be a fruit-bearing disciple of Jesus. He wants, he wants the seed to be sown in your life to the effect that it bears fruit. Jesus said in John fifteen eight, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, that you produce much fruit and prove to be my disciples. No farmer cares whether or not the seeds that he planted produce shoots. No farmer cares about shoots. Farmers don't get excited about shoots. They care about crops. Farmers want fruit, which means that the kind of faith that pleases God is the kind that manifests fruit. The the measure of genuine faith in a person's life is not an initial positive response to Jesus, but a faith in him that perseveres and yields a crop. Jesus says, God is glorified in our lives when we bear fruit and prove to be his disciples. Fruitfulness demonstrates the reality of true union with Christ. James 2:17 tells us that faith without works is dead. And in Jesus's parable, the the line of separation between the soils is not the hard soil and then the other three. The the line is with the good soil that yields a crop. The, The first three soils do not bear fruit, while the fourth does. In the Old Testament, specifically in the book of Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah used very similar, to, similar language to what Jesus is using here to depict the fruitlessness of Israel. In Isaiah chapter 5, God is depicted as a vine dresser who planted God's people in Canaan, the promised land, like a vine. And he desired for them to grow and to produce the fruit of justice and mercy and righteousness. Righteousness. But instead, Isaiah says the nation has become like a wild vine that's producing wild grapes, which are poisonous and unedible. And God says through Isaiah, I looked for the fruit of justice, but behold, bloodshed. I searched for righteousness, but I heard only the cries of distress. Jesus is perhaps drawing on this familiar imagery, In his parable, to drive the point home that God desires us to be fruit-bearing followers. Galatians 5 tells us that the works of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery, hatreds, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and anything similar. I am warning you, Paul says, about these things, as I warned you before, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The fruit that Jesus is referring to, I think, in this parable is the fruit that comes as a result of God's spirit being within you. When you truly receive Jesus and his message, his spirit comes to dwell in you and begins to manifest the character of Jesus in us and through us. Jesus told his his disciples, the one who abides in me and I in him will produce much fruit. To bear fruit, we must abide in Jesus. We must be united to him by faith, the way a branch is joined to the vine. Apart from Jesus, we can't produce any good fruit. But but just in the same way that like if you broke off a branch from a vine, it's powerless and dead. But a branch that is connected to the vine not only can produce fruit, it will. It must. Pastor Tim Keller says that for the gospel to bear fruit in your life, the seed must go down deep. The seed must go down deep. The problem with the seed in the first three soils of Jesus's parable, the problem with the seed in the first three soils of Jesus's parable is that the seed didn't go down deep enough. In the first type of soil, the hard soil, it didn't penetrate at all. In the second type of soil, the shallow soil, the word didn't really get beneath the surface. In the third type of soil, the roots went only as deep as the weeds and the thorns. But your faith faith in Jesus has to go deeper than competing idols. Only in the fourth soil did the roots sink deep enough to produce a crop. And so I think one of the questions we need to wrestle with as we meditate on this passage is how deep has the gospel been planted in your heart? How deep has the gospel been planted in your heart? Now, this raises another critical question for us, which is how do we press the seed down deep into our hearts? Like, how do we really get the gospel deep into our hearts? And I think the key to this question is the way Mark describes the word being heard in account of Jesus' parable. Now, we can't do this, uh, but if you were to read this story in the original language, when Jesus gets to the good soil in his parable, there's a sudden shift in the verb tense. Mark had been using one verb tense, and then suddenly he changed it, and this is the equivalent of like using boldface or italics in the Greek. They didn't have, they didn't have bold font. They didn't have italics when they wrote. And so they, they would use, uh, they would use indicators. And one of those Indicators was a change in the verb tense to really highlight the importance of something or to bring the action to the foreground. And in this parable, the first three types of soils are described as hearing the word in a real basic casual way. But when you get to the fourth soil. The way that Mark describes hearing changes. It's different. It's a hearing with intentionality and patience. One commentator explains that the first three types of hearing imply a quick, superficial hearing, in one ear, out the other, without effort or heeding. Satan, persecution, and the cares of the world spell havoc for those who give the gospel only a casual reading. But in verse 20, a different kind of hearing is implied, signifying a continual, ongoing hearing as opposed to a careless or inattentive hearing. So here's what I think Mark is trying to show us, what Jesus is trying to show us, is that to get the word down deep, we have to come to Jesus's words attentively. We have to come to Jesus's words humbly. We have to come to Jesus as our source of truth, and we have to hear him continually through word and prayer. Sometimes with my boys, I have to ask them, are you really listening? Like the TV will be on in the background, and so they're kind of listening to me, but their eyes are cutting to the TV. I can tell that they're not fully tuned in, and so I ask them, are are, are you listening? Are you paying attention to what I'm saying? And it's as if Jesus is asking that question to his audience. Are you really listening to me? Is my message going down deep? Have you truly received my words? At the end of the day, we can't produce any fruit in and of ourselves in our lives. The Spirit of God has to do that. But in the same way that we can't make plants grow, yet we can water them and give them nutrients and make sure they get sunlight, our faith calls us to spend time at the feet of Jesus. And so we need to ask ourselves the question, how well am I watering my faith? Are you driving that seed down deep? As we close, I want us to consider a few responses to this message. What might God's Spirit be saying to us? I I think it would be a mistake to hear this message and to think that the soils in this parable are permanently stuck in their condition. D- don't think of the soils as irrevocable categories because we read in the Bible that God can break up hardened ground and he can remove thorns and thistles. Ezekiel 36 is a beautiful place uh, in the, in the scriptures that illustrate this. It, it pictures God taking hearts of stone, hard impenetrable hearts and replacing them with hearts of flesh. God can make hard soil soft. Jesus teaches us that the Father delights to give the Holy Spirit to those who ask. And so if you've had a hard heart your whole life, maybe you've been unmoved and irresponsive to the gospel, if you ask God for the Holy Spirit, he can soften your heart. He can send the Spirit to make you open to hear Jesus' words, to receive Jesus, and for Jesus and his message to be planted deep down inside of you. So don't think that the soils can't be changed. I think the main point of this parable is that your participation in the kingdom of God has everything to do with your response to Jesus. Repent and believe the good news. God's king has come. Trust in him. Follow him. Listen to him, not just casually, but intentionally, intimately. Listen and follow Jesus. I think it's appropriate for us to consider how fertile the soil of our heart is to the gospel. That one of the things that we should do in response to this parable is to consider our hearts. God desires for your life to bear lots of fruit. He wants you to yield a 30, 60, even 100-fold increase in your life. This kind of Fruit-bearing is evidence that God's kingdom has come. It's a sign of God's blessing in your life. And for that to happen, the seed has to go down deep. We have to learn what it is to spend time with Jesus through word and prayer. Yesterday, um, I I read through all of Psalm 119. It's a a chapter of the scriptures all about uh, the word of God. And I was convicted by it as I read it. I found myself asking, do I love God's word the way David did? Do I treasure it the way David did? Perhaps you need to pluck some weeds. Is the soil of your heart being unkempt? Maybe the response Jesus is calling you to this morning is to tend to the soil of your heart. A Puritan named John Owen once wrote that we must be killing sin or it will be killing us. We must deal with the sin in our lives and and by the spirit of God, ask God to uproot the weeds and the thorns and the thistles that threaten our faith. Uh, Another response I I want all of us to have is to have hope, have hope. This parable is not a call to morbid introspection. It's a hopeful promise that the kingdom is advancing. The gospel will produce a harvest as the message is spread. If some reject Jesus and walk away, don't be discouraged. God will produce his crop. He'll produce it in you. So don't despair, but look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. And then finally, I think an appropriate response is to become a sower. Jesus is the sower in this story, but later Jesus commissioned his disciples to become sowers of the message. He told them to go make disciples of all Nations, Jesus not only wants to produce his fruit in you, he wants wants to produce a crop through you. You and I can participate in the, the advancement and in the multiplication of God's kingdom by spreading the good news that God's king has come and that he has done everything necessary for us to get to participate in his kingdom. If we will believe in him, if we will believe in Jesus, we can be in God's kingdom and experience all the blessings and benefits of it. We get to be spreaders of this good news. It truly is good news. And so I think Jesus is calling us in response to this message uh, to to be a multiplier of of the good news, to spread it everywhere we go. And so we sow the seed and we trust in God. So what is God saying to you today? How might he be calling you to respond to this message the kingdom of god is like a sower and some seeds let's pray father we we pause and we ask that you would help us as jesus cautioned on the front end and the back end of this story to listen to consider to have ears to hear what you're saying to us. God, I pray that we wouldn't just roll right past the words of your servant Jesus, but that we would contemplate them, chew on them, consider them, reflect on them. And that as your spirit convicts, we would respond in obedience. We would respond in deeper faith. We would trust in Christ. And that God your gospel message would go deeper and deeper and deeper into our hearts and that it would produce a crop, a crop of holiness and righteousness. The fruit of the spirit would, would blossom out of us and that your word would go from us to others, that others might be participants in your kingdom. So God help us Help our faith quicken quicken our faith to believe and to obey. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: This has been a sermon from Emanuel Church. To learn more about Emmanuel or to give, go to Emmanuel with an I, Birmingham.com. You can also follow us on Facebook or Instagram at EmanuelBeham.